right. Uh, hey, everybody. Uh, welcome to the Peak Collaborative for February. Um, we're going to start off just to, we have the norms on here. A lot of you have already uh, been to Peak Collaboratives before, but the main things are you're muted right now. Um, if you want to talk, uh, just raise your hand, whether it's putting like a big palm up on the on your camera or using the raise hand feature, and we will unmute you so you can share. We have a bunch of panelists, and I'll give you a, a brief introduction before uh, we get going, but um, we always want to remind you that um, to look for positive intent. Um, we are a collaborative group. This has been a really, really awesome community for uh, the last couple of years. Uh, so we're looking at growth. We're looking at making things better and learning from each other. So um, just to keep that kind of positive intent in mind, if you um, you know hear someone's opinion that you may not agree with. Um, so let us start with uh, passing it over to Dr. Emily Jones for a public service announcement. Thank you, Risto. Um, Hi, everyone. Uh, welcome to the collaborative this afternoon. We're so glad that you're joining us, uh, whether it's your first time or you are a regular attender. Um, I'm here. My public service announcement, as Risto uh, indicated, is that I um, just want to draw your attention. Um, the end of February, um, February 27th through March 3rd, that full week, uh, the Shape America Recruitment and Retention Task Force, of which many or some of you are either familiar with or have been involved with before, we'll be hosting our annual uh, For the Love of Health and Physical Education Week. So um, keep an eye peeled on different um, shape platforms and different um, web-based platforms, Twitter and otherwise, to um, in, in kind of that same sense of building community that the collaborative, the Peak Collaborative does. Um, this year, the content that we are going to be sharing is voices from stakeholders and partners uh, within and beyond physical education and health education, um, looking for ways and kind of showcasing the great partnerships and collaborations that exist uh, to support and be on mission for uh, physical education, health education, and adapted PE. So just want to, again, draw your attention to uh, keep a lookout for, uh, the, for the Love of Health and PE Week at the end of February, uh, the 27th through March 3rd. And there'll be different um, events for undergraduate students as well that we're promoting um, and just advocating for the good work that we all do. So hope to see you virtually in, in some capacity and um, I look forward to the panelists today. Thanks, Emily. Um, so let's uh, let's get rolling with today's topic. Um, so this session is all about the tenure and promotion process. Um, and we're trying to hear from a wide range of experiences, and we completely, fully acknowledge that the process is different depending on where you're at, whether that's a teaching-focused university or a research-focused institution. Um, so I'm going to first introduce the panelists, and we've asked all the panelists to kind of briefly, in about five to six minutes, discuss their experience or any like words of wisdom that they would share, uh, and then we're going to open it up for comments from everybody else. Um, so whether those comments are questions that you have for the panelists or uh, about your experience, again, there are different experiences in the process and and that's what makes it complicated, but also interesting. Um, and I know that there are people waiting, uh, listening here that are about to go through the process, whether that's going up for tenure or third year review or going up for promotion to full or 
uh, transitioning into leadership, and they're eager to hear from the experiences from everybody on this call. Um, so let me uh, introduce the uh, set of panelists, and then we'll start into the discussion. Um, first, uh, Associate Professor discussion, uh, Hillary Roby from Western Washington University. Uh, then we have Langston Clark from the University of Texas, San Antonio. Um, chiming in for the full professor discussion, uh, Jen Krause from UNC Colorado, who's going through the process now. Uh, Tao Zong from the University of North Texas. Uh, we also have a clinical instructor, Christy Carlson from the University of Illinois Sh at Champaign-Urbana. And then we have two administrators, uh, Dr. Becky Bryan uh, from the uh, from Cortland State University, and she's the department chair um, of the largest physical education program in, I don't know, the world, maybe at least the nation. Uh, and then uh, Steve Silverman, uh, Dean of the College of Education at Florida Atlantic University. So um, I'll turn it over to Hillary. She will have her five minutes of fame, and then we'll go to Langston and we'll open up the discussion. Great, thank you, Risto. Uh, hello, everyone. Uh, as mentioned, I am Hillary Roby, and I am an associate professor at Western Washington University. Uh, so that's in Bellingham, about an hour north of where um, the Shape American National Convention will be when we're in Seattle. So I'm just about an hour north of there. And I am currently in my fifth year. And so I went up for um, tenure and promotion at the end of my third year. And so I'm happy and excited to kind of share what my experiences were throughout that process. And I have the questions that were sent to me. So I'm just going to, um, over the next five or so minutes, just work through um, each of the questions that were sent to me. So at Western Washington University, we are a teaching institution. And when we think of the, how our time is spent between uh, teaching, research, and service um, within our university, even more specifically within our department, um, it's certainly focused on teaching. Um, I think within the department, some would say we are a 60 percent um, towards teaching and then probably 30 percent towards research and tend to service or even 60 20 20 um, is sort of how our university approaches those 10-year requirements although uh, there is nothing written in stone and I think that's purposeful <laughs> because it just sort of depends on um, what department and even what college you teach in within our university. And so um, our department's evaluation plan, so our DEP, uh, so I'll just briefly talk about that. Um, when I went on my job interview and one of the first documents I asked for when I got the job was the DEP. And I feel very fortunate that um, the DEP within uh, the department that I teach was very clear. And I understand that that is not necessarily the case everywhere, um, but it, I felt very confident after reading it what I needed to do in order to be successful um, in my role. Um, and then in pursuing, obviously, tenure and promotion to associate. And then also, it's pretty clear in terms of going up um, for full professor for those who are at that stage or who have gone through that uh, within our department. So for research, the one of the questions here was, what was the overall publication expectation? Uh, so for us, the expectation was that you had a minimum um, of three publications, so not uh, compared to other places, certainly less. Now within those, uh, there was an expectation that at least 
at least one, but preferably more, um, the person going up. So in my case, I needed to be first author on a minimum of one of the three, in addition to uh, some of the data collected for at least one of the three had to be collected while at the university. Um, and I think that is important because I was fortunate. Um, I left, in fact, Jen Krauss, who's here, was uh, my doctoral advisor. And so I was fortunate to leave my doctoral experience with quite a bit of, of research that I could take with me to write up. Um, but the expectation was that at least one of the publications had to be data collected at Western. So the next question about external letters, um, for that, there was a requirement of external letters. So what happened was when I decided to go up for tenure and promotion, and that decision was based off of two years of my colleagues within the department reviewing my materials, so reviewing my dossier, and then they were rating me based on our DEP rubrics. So I had a very clear idea of whether or not um, my colleagues felt that I was meeting expectations or if I was not meeting expectations. And so based on that, I decided to go up after my third year. Um, interestingly, at our university, which I know is different from others, we had no, there's no year requirement. So someone could go up at the end of their second year, say people come in with years of experience, or they could wait and go up uh, by their, at the end of their fifth year or sixth year, depending if they, um, yeah, there are some circumstances where it could be um, year six or even seven, actually. So you have up to seven years, but by then you have to go up. Um, and so I put that all together and then I had to compile a list of external reviewers. So I had to find other uh, professors. They did have to be full professors. And my goal was to look for professors that teach at a university similar to Western. So a teaching university. So that was something I was intentional about um, when I was trying to find external uh, reviewers. And then all of my documents were packaged and the dossier was sent off for the external reviewers who then submitted a letter that was something that I didn't see, um, but that my colleagues who were reviewing me did see those letters. So I did have that process. Course evaluations are a big part of the review process here at Western Washington University. And in fact, our department is in a ongoing DEP revision process, as we're really thinking critically about the role that the teaching evaluation, those quantitative numbers play. Um, and so we have a number that ours is out of a kind of a six point scale, zero to six. And so in order to go up, you have to have um, course evaluation numbers that are at least 3.5 or higher. And so that's something that we are really looking at because now we've changed our course evaluations uh, but that's another story. So I do want to just say that, yes, course evaluation, specifically the quantitative numbers, uh, hold a lot of weight. And we still at Western actually, course evaluations were given hard copy and then they went remote and we didn't have enough. And this was before I arrived um, five years ago. There wasn't enough response weight for how much weight those held. So now we're back to last week of classes giving course evaluations. Um, paper and pencil, just like I remember doing as undergrad. So they're very important. And uh, let's see, our DEP was very clear. And I would say intentionally as objective as possible as it could be so that for the person who's 
putting materials together, they know exactly what they need to do. And then I just did my first round of reviews of some um, colleagues who were going up for tenure this year. And I also felt as a reviewer that the uh, rubric that we have within our DEP for both uh, teaching research and service was was very clear in terms of is this person meeting expectations or not? So uh, our evaluation rubric is uh, each section has basically a contextual written section that really speaks to the expectations of all three of those components within our department. And then there's a standard rubric of exactly here's what a greatly exceeding expectations means for each exceeding meets and then um, so on of not meeting. So I, I know that I'm grateful that ours is clear. And again, we're currently in revising those just because of some changes, especially after COVID. I would like to um, kind of make a note that we had a uh, memorandum, like with COVID, we did have our DEP, some of it changed because of the impact, as we all know, that COVID had, especially on uh, teaching and then research, of course. We a lot of our research was on halt or on pause for at least two years. So um, we're also sort of coming out of that memorandum that we had. I think I have one more question. I'm, I'm trying to stick to time here, Rista. I'm hoping yeah, if you can, if you can go to the uh, kind of, if you prepared like any advice or anything, um, yeah. we can go to that and then move to Langston. Yeah. Perfect. Okay. Um, so for me, I would say my biggest advice and what I tell people is to think about how you're saving all of your materials. Um, and that was one of the notes here. So I have folders for each section and I have course evals uh, for each of my courses. I have still everything that I save, other student work, uh, student assi sample assignments, things like that. So just being organized from day one, I think is very helpful because then putting all of this together, the first time it took, I greatly uh, miss un or underestimated the amount of time that it takes to put your dossier together. So that is always my biggest piece of advice is to give yourself uh, time and set yourself up for success when you're actually putting all of this together. Awesome. Thank you. Uh, let's move to Langston and then we'll open up the conversation to uh, everybody else. Hello, everyone. Uh, I am an associate professor at the University of Texas at San Antonio, and I have been in my position for eight years. Uh, let's start with the first question about explaining my, 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 my breakdown. So I'm on a 40, 40, 20, but at my university, people have the option to change those, those numbers. So, um, that's something to be mindful of in terms of like who you want to be received as, as a scholar, as a teacher, and as someone who maybe focuses on grant work, because there was, um, I would say an out for some folks who preferred to do teaching, like you could increase your teaching load but then come down on your service and, and um, your research and things like that. So something to be mindful of. I also want to add some context too, that UTSA just reached R1 status, but I wouldn't describe us that way. I would say that we are an aspiring AAU university now. And so all of that plays a role in how um, our expectations are. So what 40 was when I started for research isn't what 40 is now, even though it's supposed to be 40. So something to think about. Uh, the overall publication expectation was two to three a year. Um, in, in terms of uh, external letters, yes, they, they wanted external letters. But at the time, while I was going up, we were an aspiring R1. So that meant that 
all of the universities where I got letters needed to be R1s, right? That what they really wanted were AAU schools. Even though we don't have um, an abundance of peak doctoral programs at AAU universities, that impacted like who they got external letters from. So I had a list of people that I wanted to do my external letters, um, but some of those, but the university chooses some too. So some of the folks that they chose were in education, but they weren't in physical education, which speaks to like the politics of your network and reaching out to people outside of the field because they may be asked to speak on your behalf when it comes time for your tenure letters. Um, course evaluations, to, in, in, to me, in terms of my ethic, they were a major part of what I did. I don't know how much my university cared about it because I think I could have gotten through getting twos on my two out, two out of fives on my evals. I don't think they would have cared. Um, but just, just as, as our own ethic as educators, I think it's important that we have um, good reviews for our teaching. Um, the evaluation rubric, that question is very difficult for me to answer because I've been in two different departments and things have changed as uh, my university's mission has changed in terms of being AAU and things like that. I will say this, in my former department of kinesiology, you got points for everything. Every little thing you did on that rubric, you got points for. And so I think that that's something to be mindful of as you are on these committees thinking and talking about um, your evaluations. I think it's important that you have an opportunity to put put down and count everything that you've done. Um, one thing that I appreciate is that we got credit even for submitting publications, right? And so even submitting a publication on your, and I, when I say your evaluation rubric, I wanna be clear that I'm talking about my, my yearly evaluation, which led to like the big evaluation for uh, my tenure and promotion. So um, that's something to be thinking about how your, your annual eval relates to your final evaluation Keep that in mind as well, because they definitely didn't count submissions in the final analysis, but the way that they, they primed us psychologically to keep going was to do that early on. Was the process vague? I wouldn't say it was vague. It's probably vague now as we are continue to make these transitions and really sort of um, solidify ourselves as an R01 and aspiring AAU institution. So transition, if you're in a school like mine, is something to be mindful of, and it may be a bit vague for you as you get there. Um, in terms of organizing, uh, I would echo what Hillary said. I think from the very beginning, I had folder, right? I have a tenure publications folder. I have a tenure service folder. I have a um, tenure teaching folder. Um, and then for this, for this last final tip, I would say that you should, you should uh, try your best to take advantage of opportunities that you don't see your colleagues taking advantage of that could set your set your your packet apart um, and i'm gonna go two because i think i got a few more minutes actually i'm gonna go three tips the second tip is listen you should go on a job market before you go for tenure even if you don't necessarily want another job and the reason why i say that is because you going on a job market will make you get your tenure packet ready because basically everything that this other job is going to be looking for like you got to write a narrative, you got to have your publications together. That's not wasted time. It's just going to flow into like what you're going to do to go for tenure anyway. And the other thing is apply for these prestigious awards like the Spencer and the Ford and some of these other ones that we don't typically do because that's not wasted time either because it's also going to make you make you start writing your narrative and compiling um, your argument for you being worthy of tenure because 
there are some parallels between those applications and what you would do for uh, your T and P process. Awesome. Thanks, everybody. Um, so we'll open it up here. I'm, I'm curious um, for for Hillary Langston, others, like who did how did you figure out who, who to put on your um, external letters list? Like what was the what was the process there for you? Like, did you do it by yourself? Did you consult like a mentor? Did you consult internally your dean or how did, how did that work? Uh, I, I can answer this quick uh, as quick as I can. For me, it was, I asked my chair, how do I do this? And he said, you just find people. So a couple of the names I had was just people I'd met at other conferences that at least I had met before. Otherwise, I, I didn't know many of the other um, faculties outside of our state because one of my um, close colleagues had gone up the year before or two years before. So I couldn't use the same external reviewers. Um, so I had to kind of go outside of the network that of people that we knew from kind of our neighboring states um, and universities. So unfortunately, I only knew two of the people and only one of them ended up writing my letter. So it almost felt like I was cold calling, which felt a little bit weird. I didn't really know the people. Um, and I would say that was probably the only area which I told my chair. I didn't I didn't really enjoy that part of the process because I didn't know the people who were giving me feedback. We also went up super early, right? You said you went up on your third year. Yeah, and that's because uh, that that to me is like really fast, which obviously it's different, different universities. But like if you stay five years and you're going to shape every year for five years or going to ARA every year for five years or whatever, like then that that changes um, or you have more time to meet these people. Uh, Langston, what uh, do you feel comfortable sharing how what your process was? And I think leveraging the relationships that your advisors have with people from grad school will help out a lot because clearly your advisor and people on your dissertation committee can't write your letter, but their network should all be tenured full professors or whatever, or, or more like more likely to be so. And so leaning on them is a, is a good resource for that as well. Awesome. Thanks. And I'll, I'll give a shout out to ARA SIG happy hour and, and Steve, Steve told me, Steve's my, uh, was my advisor in grad school. And he told me that that's where you meet everybody. And that is everybody that was on my list. I have met at ARA SIG happy hour. And it's true. Like that, that's where you have that personal connection. You can share about your research, but I think also having that introduction, like, especially as a, as a senior scholar, seeing a grad student or early career scholar, like the best thing that people have done for me when I was going up for tenure was just nudging me into a conversation, introducing me, you know, so it, it's so powerful in those, whether it's after a conference talk or whatever, it's just like so helpful. Um, and that's reason 200 to go to bars a lot. Uh, do we have other comments or questions? Uh, just if we're focusing this on the kind of uh, going up for tenure conversation. All right. So um, we can come back to this for sure. Yeah, go ahead, Langston. So I would say it's also important to not be in your silo at your university. So if if I could go back 
and I may have done this informally, like I would meet every department chair in my college. Somehow, some way, I would meet them. Like really, I would meet every dean at my university somehow in some way, just so your face and your name becomes recognizable. Because if people don't know who you are, it's not a benefit to you. Like if people in your university, in your department, outside of your program need to know who you are, um, because even that familiarity is something that's positive when, um, when your packet is being reviewed. Bristow, I might just jump in and add something too. Um, I was in a unique situation where two of my colleagues were also going up for promotion and tenure at the same time as me, um, from assistant to associate. And that was really interesting in multiple ways. I'm looking at Jen in the corner here, but because we could kind of lean on each other um, during those times and kind of talk to each other and clarify things. But then there was also at the institution um, where I was at, um, faculty review all of the applications and then it goes to chair and dean. And so there was some element of kind of comparisons that occurred across our CVs um, that were not necessarily congruent with what the rubric was for promotion and tenure. So, and that was really interesting because I actually got feedback on mine that said, well, you have far less publications than so-and-so and, -so and uh, things. And it's kind of like, so I still meet all of the requirements. And so being aware that those kinds of things are at play as well and being able to justify the things on your um, CV, I think is really important. I had come from an institution that did not value practitioner articles. Um, and so I would need, for example, four Jopert articles to get credit for one publication. So I focused my time and efforts on, um, in, in, in the mind of that institution, um, higher impact publications, which meant that I did have less publications than some of my peers going up but being able to describe your reasons for why you have what you have and what you've done um, to justify those things, I think is really important, particularly if you have peers um, going up for the same, um, at the same time as you. So just keeping in mind some of those things as well. Awesome, thanks, Jamie. Um, so let's, uh, let me transition over to Jen, um, and she's going to lead the discussion uh, more towards from the associate to full professor. Thanks, Rochelle. Risto. Um, hi, everyone. I'm Jen Krause, um, currently at the University of Northern Colorado, and I, this is my 10th year. I am currently going through the process of uh, promotion to full professor, so my materials have already, already been submitted. They've gone through the faculty review, the department chair review, and then it'll, next step will be dean. Um, <clears throat> so far, so good. Um, and so just I'll kind of talk through some of the prompts and the questions. Uh, feel free to add questions in the chat and we can get to those later. Uh, but <clears throat> UNC, it's shifted over the years. When I first arrived here, there was di differential workloads. So it wasn't quite as strict, uh, but now over the last couple of years, we've gone to a 60 instruction, 20% research, 20% service. Um, in terms of publications, there's no hard number here. Um, and I'm going to flash our rubric here in a second, but um, it's the expectation is to engage in discipline-related scholarly activity that positively impacts the professional community 
with notable scholarly activity based on the standards of the discipline. So take that however you want to, because it's pretty vague and it's for everyone to sort of decide on their own. Um, I'll just do a quick share here so you can see what our rubric looks like. Um, this is actually the College of Natural and Health Sciences um, rubric. Um, and so we're looking at, in terms of, in, to be promoted to full professor, you have to meet, or sorry, be in exceeds expectations or better in instruction and uh, professional activity or, or research. And then you can be in meets expectations for service. Um, so it's it's pretty vague. So if I'm looking at making exceeds expectations and in instruction, I'm applying content that reflects depth and breadth of current um, knowledge. It does mention in here in terms of um, pedagogical performance, we have to include student evaluation scores um, and comments from students. Um, and, and it also mentions including peer review and syllabi and things like that. If we scroll down to professional activity, I did just read this statement to you, but they're looking for you to have published peer-reviewed scholarly work, but there's no hard number there. Um, so I'm going to actually share one of my tips now is that look at the, the individuals who've received promotion or tenure, if you're looking back to that, but promotion to full in this case um, in, in recent years to see what, a, what did they have, um, what was their performance like in all of these areas, um, looking over their materials, kind of look like, look at what have the expectations been. That doesn't mean that they won't shift or change for you. Um, so I, I feel like over the years, expectations have become more rigorous um, than they were before, but um, that's just one strategy. It's just talking to those people and looking at their materials um, to see how you might be comparing to them. Um, in terms of um, generally, like I said, it's a, it's a little bit vague. Um, but I think you know, even Jamie, when she was here, um, knowing who had gone up previously to uh, us and some other, our other colleagues felt pretty confident um, just because of what we've been working on in, in comparison to those people. Um, in terms of organizing tenure and promotion materials, um, Everyone's given some really good examples of how they've done it before, but definitely keeping folders. We do it electronically through what used to be called digital measures, but is now called uh, watermark, uh, faculty success, something along those lines. And so what really was that what Hillary talked about takes a long time. So, you know, if you can yearly gather all your materials and, and enter those into your electronic system. We were required this year and it was emphasized from the Dean that we had to have some sort of evidence for every single item that would show up in our interactive data. So every presentation had to have some artifact attached to it that somebody could click on and open. So saving those, emailing people to get those things ahead of time and maybe trying to do it on a yearly basis or as it as it happens, rather than trying to gather five years worth of 
uh, artifacts um, in like a week. So maybe work ahead. Um, so I think that's about all I have. Um, and I think what we'll do is move on. Mikhail will share his experience. I will just mention too. So we're uh, UNC Colorado version is a doctoral professional comprehensive university. So we do prepare doctoral students, but we're not quite at that level of high research expectation. So, um, Kyle, if you want to share a little bit about the R1 perspective, that would be great. All right. Hello, everyone. Uh, can you hear me? Yeah, uh, my name is uh, Tao Zhang. Currently, I'm a professor uh, in the Department of Kinesiology, Health Promotion and Recreation at the University of North Texas, Denton. Um, my university tenure requirement, uh, currently, I can see you now this bar is losing year by year, little by little. You know? So, we do have you know, a teaching, research, and the service you know, this, you know, workload. Uh, usually it's a 40, 40, 20 percentage of our you know, workload. And you know, uh, we can buy out if we have any type of additional grant support. Uh, so um, if, if you want to teach less you know, classes, okay, you can use your grant to buy out. Um, I have my, just like you know, uh, current case, you know, I have a 60% you know, research, 20% you know, teaching and uh, 20% you know, service because you know, I buy our two different coursework per academic year based on my grant. So it is a special case. Um, we do have a very high you know, research expectation for our publication. We need to publish at least 15 to 20 you know, different research articles uh, since um, being promoted as an associate professor. So uh, within that rank, you, know, you need to make sure you have a good you know, uh, research publication uh, at the top journal, such as you know, JTP or Research Quarterly. And also you need to make sure you uh, have a good you know, just, you know, research grant application. And you know, my department has uh, at least one external grant you know, uh, just, you know, requirement. So it means you know, if we want to you know, supplement our uh, dossier, we need to secure the one big you know, uh, grant, at least one thousand. Uh, 100,000 you know, uh, external grant. And uh, you, you need to support your research agenda and also make, and make sure you can support your uh, undergraduate and graduate student. So it is our you know, research expectation. And we do also have a you know, very high expectation regarding our you know, teaching excellence. Okay, we need to make sure we can have a consistent you know, peer evaluation student evaluation and then you know, your teaching portfolios. And then you need to make sure you put everything uh, together as a package, you know, your additional teaching portfolio should be uh, outstanding. And then you know, regarding our uh, teach uh, service, you know, we do hope you know, our uh, candidate has a good you know, additional leadership in different professional organization. We have a national and international reputation in the field. So uh, it is our you know basic expectation about our you know service and the leadership you know uh, responsibilities. Um, we do need to you know at least five different external letter you know be, uh, before our just you know, tenure promotion and then you know, also for professor promotion. So uh, I need to prepare for at least five different you know, uh, for professor name and the contact information and my department and you know our 
committee also need to prepare by the list of five. So uh, the RPT committee make a final decision who will be selected as of my external uh, review and you know get all these no support letter you know uh, or just no uh, promotion evaluations. Um, we do have a good you know just no uh, rubric regarding our course evaluation, especially you now we highlight this you now diversity, equity, and you know uh, inclusion within our just no teaching just no uh, practices. So we hope we have good you know, student you know, engagement and the students you know, uh, interaction with the professors. And uh, you know, because you know, UNT is a, a Hispanic serving research one institution. So we highlight this you know, uh, interaction with all these you know, minority you know, uh, student population. And you know, if you have any type of just, you know, uh, good you know, uh, mentoring with a you know, minority student, okay, it will be a big bonus. So uh, we do have such an expectation. Um, our this you now uh, tenure promotion and you know professor promotion process is quite you know specific and clear. So uh, we need to follow our this you now guideline and you know different criteria to prepare for our this you now uh, application dossier. And you know um, I think the most important part for our this you now preparation for this you now uh, materials is you know you need to. Collect all just no evidence, you know, no matter for your just no publication, you know, uh, research you no know, uh, presentation, research grant, you know, application, and you know, different type of you know, research award or scholarship. And also, you need to make sure you collect all just no evidence regarding your teaching and your service. And then, you know, how can you, you know, you know, demonstrate that you have good and you know, just no sustainable just you no know, evidence, and you know, have a good you know, national and international reputations. So um, we do have a such a you know, good you know, just, you know, uh, expectation about our you know, teaching, research, and the service. My number one tips, you know, um, I think you, know, you need to pay attention to the details. You know, especially you, know, you need to have a very good you know, annual evaluation okay, um, you know, throughout your know, uh, review period. You, know, you need to make sure you understand your department and the college, you know, you know, criteria for your you know promotion and then make sure you have a good preparation for you know three different categories, you know, regarding you know research, teaching, and the service. Thank you. Thanks so much, Tao. I appreciate that. Um so there's been a lot of um chatter about um, external review letters um or it's been coming up in the chat. Um and I just was I wanted to point out that um, I know at UNC and and Langston, you mentioned that you'll be reviewed by other areas, um, even within just our Department of Kinesiology, Nutrition, Dietetics. There are people who don't really know Pete, um, so those external review letters are very helpful in terms of having someone in the field be able to share that this is you know, for this field, for this level, whether or not that that's um, appropriate level of engagement in professional activity. And that helps people who are in biomechanics evaluate performance a little bit better. And I think even more so um, with Langston at UTSA, where I actually was before, you know, where people who are in the Department of Biology are reviewing my <laughs> materials. Um, it's important for them to know that. So, you know, there's been some chat um, some talk about that in uh, in the chat, um, and I think we'll probably get more into those letters. But 
Um, I know, Elizabeth, you were going to jump in uh, maybe and talk about your experience um, from a teaching university as well. Do you want to chime in a little bit? Going, uh, having just been promoted to full? Sure. Um, yeah, I just went through that process this summer and fall in submitting my work. Um, I am a very heavy teaching university. It is a minimum of 60% at the teaching level, and we're actually evaluated in four areas. We have advising as a separate area from service and scholarship and teaching. Um, so um, I, uh, we, we don't have very strict requirements. We um, subscribe to the teacher scholar model. And so anything you're doing that helps your teaching can be counted as scholarship. So they really encourage scholarship in the classroom, writing about things you're doing in the classroom, uh, measuring those things and stuff like that. So it's very loose requirements on the scholarship model, um, which kind of gives a lot of freedom, which is nice on that. But um, one of the biggest things I have found besides having a good portfolio is the relationships that I've built across campus. Um, that helped me with tenure as well as promotion to full professor where um, I had a unanimous vote across the committee of my peers across the um, university. And I think it just has to do with um, having those strong relationships across campus. I really took the time early on to build those. And so if anything controversial came up, um, people from other departments were able to speak on my behalf and to talk about um, my loyalty to the university and my work ethic and things like that so that there was never any issue. Um, so those relationships, I've now sat on tenure and promotion committee at my university multiple times. Those relationships become very meaningful when you only have so many voices in the room that some of those voices are willing to go to bat for you. So that would be my big advice on that. Thanks, Elizabeth. Anyone else who'd like to chime in or have a question around promotion to full? What you experience or have any questions? Jen, I have a question about, so the interactive CV, so everything was linked. So then did you not have to have the materials like on the platform, whatever? Yeah, so- you're using? It's um, the platform that we use, um, the way it works is you basically have a seat, you enter everything individually. So every publication you enter that, and then you can attach, let's say the PDF of that publication. So then it will generate an interactive CV. It looks like a CV, but there's a link at every, you know, for every single line you could click on and then it will open up that file. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so obviously, like a lot of people go through annual review or by, we go through biennial review once you're tenured. So every two years, my stuff is in there. So, um, you know, but two years worth of work doing it you know, a couple weeks before it's due is not advised, um, which we talked about. So I think what we'll do is just for time, we'll move on. Um, Kaysen, I believe you are leading our next section on the clinical instructor process. Yes, and I, I think a lot of this is gonna come full circle too when we have our administrators speak uh, at the end. Um, I am here to introduce uh, Christy Carlson. She is at Illinois. 
with our uh, good friend Kevin Richards. And we think it's important. Actually, she has an important, uh, interesting story to tell about how um, being an instructor, clinical instructor, and um, a teaching associate professor. So we welcome her and, and uh, want to hear about her perspective as well. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, so uh, as Kason said, I am uh, a teaching assistant professor at the University of Illinois. Um, I've been there for about 10 years and have been in higher education for about 16 years. Um, so yeah, I have a different perspective because I am representing the non-tenure track uh, people in the room. Um, so I actually cannot go up for tenure, but I can go up for promotion. And at my university, um, it's important to go up for promotion because it obviously comes with a pay raise, um, but it also comes with some additional benefits, most importantly, getting an extended contract. So you are on an annual contract unless you get up to the higher levels, in which case you can get a three-year contract. So that's important to a lot of us who are in non-tenure track positions. Um, so full disclosure, I have not gone up for promotion. I've been encouraged to do so, to go to teaching associate, um, but I haven't gone through the process yet. So I can just talk a little bit about the process, but I can't really give you the details on the nitty gritty since I haven't gone through it. Um, our process does have some similar uh, components to what um, our tenure track faculty go through, although it's certainly not as intense. Um, we uh, have the opportunity to go through multiple levels of promotion. So we start, uh, if you have your doctorate, you start as a lecturer, then you can go to teaching assistant, then you can go to teaching associate, and then you can go to full. Um, and the requirements for those are um, all a little bit different, but essentially they're really just looking to see if you're doing additional research to go to those other levels, or if you're contributing a great deal um, to teaching, not only in your university, but outside of your university as well. So my load is 80% teaching and then 10% service and 10% research. So uh, my research expectations, there aren't really any set expectations, but I'm on um, our annual review committee. So I know kind of what the um, informal expectations are. And that is for people in my position to have at least one peer-reviewed publication or presentation per year. So if we um, get one of those, then we are meeting expectations and anything above that would be, uh, we would be exceeding. Um, so if we go, if we uh, choose to go up for promotion, then um, we essentially have to submit the same document that we can meet, that we complete for our annual evaluations. Um, plus some a little bit addition uh, in addition to that with some uh, different questions that we would have to respond to. We are required to have external letters. So just like our tenure faculty are, um, we are asked to give like eight to nine names of people. And then the university will choose approximately two to three individuals that they would contact for um, some type of external letter. Um, because um, obviously, 80% of my load is teaching. Uh, it is evaluated pretty uh, strenuously. Um, it is largely based on our teaching evaluations. That's not necessarily always a great thing, um, but it is the what they use as the largest basis. We also do peer evaluations of one another, and so those are also utilized um, in that process. 
Um, I would say that our process is a little bit vague. Um, I, I don't even know if there is an evaluation rubric, to be completely honest. Um, if there is, I've never seen it. Um, so I'm not, I'm not really sure about that. I know that communication nine, which was our process for our tenure faculty just, um, went through a revision and now they're going to tackle the process of uh, revising our communication for non-tenure track faculty. So it's possible it's going to change a little bit. I think primarily they're going to be adding in, um, some emphasis on DEI. Um, so I don't really have a tip because I haven't gone through it, but that's just kind of the perspective of the non-tenure track um, faculty. Was there a, Chrissy, was there a motivation for you to go into a non-tenure track? Is that something that you, would you want to teach more? Is that what kind of drove you to there? Or what was kind of like when the decision, I mean, you've obviously been there for a while. So you, you know, you, you seem to like what you're doing. So yeah. Like yeah. what kind of drove you? What what was that decision making process when you made made that decision? So I was in a tenure track position at another university, and then this opportunity came um, available for me to uh, take this position. Um, personally, it was a better fit for me because um, I was commuting to my old university. This is in my hometown, so uh, I would say that it both personally and professionally is um, is preferred for me. Uh, I don't love the publisher parish. It's just not my jam. Um, I am, uh, I can do research and I actually do fairly well at it, but I don't really enjoy it. So I didn't want to have it hanging over my head all the time. And so being in a position where I only have to do, you know, one to two um, publications or presentations a year is great for me because it allows me to still stay in that area of the field, but I don't have to spend all of my time in it. My passion really lies in teaching. And so I get to dedicate most of my time to that. Um, I also hold an administrative role. So I do a ton of service and administrative work. Um, and then personally, I have three kids and um, I'm able to dedicate a whole lot more of my time to them than I was when I had the, the publication cloud hanging over my head. Awesome. Thank you. Uh, and so we're going to have time to loop back to all of these conversations. Um, we're going to transition to talk about the uh, administrators point of view. And we kept the administrators towards the end because they're used to being in meetings. So they they said they didn't mind being being the last ones up. Um, so they've been asked to talk a little bit differently, not about their experience going through the tenure process, but about what they look for in good candidates. And obviously, Becky and Steve both see a bunch of tenure uh, promotion files throughout uh, their positions, and then kind of also have a brief discussion on if they want to chime in on that external letter conversation. So let's start off with uh, Becky Bryan first. Hi, everyone. Thank you. Um, so yes, I'm chair at SUNY Cortland. And really, um, and as we go through the process, it, uh, candidates submit their materials to our department personnel committee. They review materials, write their letter. Then I receive, uh, at the same time that the personnel committee uh, receives uh, the candidates, basically links now, we, we've gone to like an online portfolio. Um, and so people have websites and things. Um, and so I receive all the links when the department personnel committee receives the links. Um, 
the department personnel committee completes their evaluation and then they submit the letters uh, to myself and uh, the school personnel committee and the dean. So, and then I write letters that then go to the school personnel committee and so on. So when I'm reviewing a candidate's materials, um, we're a heavily teaching focused institution. So we're more of a 60, 20, 20. Um, but we also have that like weird addition, even though it's not quantified in the 2020 is advising because we have huge advising loads. Um, but when I review the portfolios, I am I review all the key areas. So I do look, we call them course teacher evaluations. So I do look at their CTEs. But I always look at that in context to how the candidates reflect on their teaching based on their CTEs. Because again, we know that there are problems uh, with CTEs. We know there's bias and a, a number of other things within course teacher evaluations. Um, you know, courses that are more activity focused get higher ratings than our courses that are more theoretical and, and heavier in content. So I look at um, the, the course evaluation ratings, but also how the candidate reflected on their teaching because they do have to do a reflective piece. Um, and so they do have to write reflections about their teaching. Um, and also set some goals, like if they have some areas that they want to work on. So I, that's how I really look at their teaching. Um, and our candidates also have to, um, or our faculty also have to have two peer observations every cycle. So our uh, retention, tenure, and promotion is that once a, a person comes in as an assistant, um, they are they finish a year and in the fall then have their first kind of a quick evaluation and then they have a two year uh, term and then they're evaluated each two years after that. Um, and then they can go up in their sixth year for tenure and promotion. They can go up early for promotion if they meet the criteria. How would you so, I have a, I have a yeah. question. Um, so if you had someone that had, like you, you mentioned, like had very, you know, maybe like an exercise physiology or biomechanics course or something that's very, uh, more high science versus, you know, a pedagogy class, you know, and I'm not saying the expectation is that the, the pedagogy class would have higher ratings, but you know, the students might perceive it because it's a movement base and not, you know, how do you as a chair approach that when maybe, you know, the, for example, the ex-phys class had lower ratings, but you know what I mean? I, I do. Thank you for that question. And I will say this because we literally are just a department of physical education. So we don't teach biomechanics, ex-phys. Those are all courses our students take outside of our department. We literally are just Pete and we have over a thousand <laughs> students of just PE majors. Um, so everything our faculty teaches is just PEAT content. It's either physical activity related, theory, elementary methods, secondary methods, and so on. But some of those courses, students 
if they're more challenging or have a heavier workload, right? We know the data, the research shows us students rate those lower than like their racket activities course, right? Uh, just because it's not as a heavy load. So when I'm looking at it, I just look at their scores in relation. So, and the comments that students make. So like if the comments are like saying there's too much work in here, I don't really, I don't give that any weight. Now, if there's certain things where a candidate maybe in a couple of cycles, like students over and over saying not very clear instructions or assignments weren't clear, then we make note of that. And in my letters, I would put suggestions in right for the next round um, for improvement. So that's how I would look at that in for that particular situation. Um, for research, and we don't have a rubric, but our criteria is, is pretty clear. I mean, I could say that, but then at the same time, the teaching, like we don't have a rubric, but we do, we do try to keep the CTE scores. We want them to have like the mean at least around a four on a scale of a five. Um, and so looking at that, we'll say, you know, most of their ratings are four or above um, and so on. If they were rated at threes or lower, we would do some mentoring um, and things. For research, it really is three peer-reviewed publications, one of which has to be um, a, a lead author. Um, so one of those publications, the individual has to be a lead author um, and the other, but they need a total of three uh, peer-reviewed publications uh, for their scholarship. And then for service, it's, a we've had our campus wrote a white paper um, about service so we're looking uh, more at how to really evaluate service because there were all kinds of questions about different committees that maybe only meet once a year versus committees that meet you know uh, bi-weekly or monthly or um, so the load of service commitments on different committees um, and different obligations. And so that's um, kind of, we're looking into that. So now if people are sitting on like a curriculum committee, usually at the end of the term, the chair of that committee will write like, thank you, Dr. Bryan for serving on the curriculum committee. We evaluated this many things. And so then those can go into the materials uh, for um, the person who is uh, submitting their portfolio. Just trying to think of anything else. <laughs> Sorry, I got lost after the question. No, I, I think, uh, and we'll bring you back in for for the conversation. Um, but let's uh, let me bring on Steve. Um, Steve, you can speak a little bit to the tenure and promotion process from um, from your point of view as as a dean. Um, so, floor is yours. So, when I was thinking about this. I was glad I didn't have to answer all the questions Risto sent out because I can't remember the answers to some of them. Um, so my experience is I was um, tenured at the University of Texas in the, the late 80s. 
I was promoted to full professor at the University of Illinois in 95. Um, I went from there to the Teachers College, where I'm um, an emeritus faculty member, spent 20-some years there. And I've been in my current position for three and a half. <laughs> at Illinois and Teachers College, and of course, now in this job, I've done a lot with tenure and promotion kinds of activities. And <laughs> I, it's, it's 80 degrees out and everyone I know has a cough, so please ignore this. Um, and so I think there's some similarities and some differences in, in the process. Um, timing's different, how they get outside letters is different. Um, when I came here, Oh, and I was a department chair at, at Teachers College and um, served to the best, if my beat is correct, 12 years on the college committee. There was no university committee at Columbia. It goes right to the provost from there. Um, and when I first came here, um, we've been trying, our university has been moving up in research, so we've been revising our guidelines a lot. A lot. So some things that I think you should all think of, um, uh, Tip O'Neill, Thomas P. O'Neill, who was Speaker of the House in the United States House of Representatives, said, all politics is local. It's my favorite quote, and I think we all should think about um, what what are the demands that the university were at when we're thinking about tenure pro promotion. I agree with a lot of the advice um, going around, meeting people under, um, across campus. I think it's always easier. People know who you are and they like you to um, support you as you're, you're go, going through that. Um, we're very much like a lot of places. It goes to a, a department committee, to the department chair, to a college committee, then to me, and then to the university committee, and the provost makes the final decision um, here. Um, and um, at Teachers College, we had a 40-40-20. And like Langston said, the 40% was different than the 40% it, it, it is at a lot of other places um, do, doing that. Um, I've tried to, as dean, be very proactive in meeting with people, uh, particularly people who want to go off for a full professor. I think the worst thing that can happen is for people to go up and either be too early or... Um, they don't have their stuff together doing it. And um, we, we have someone up now for full professor who came to me three and a half years ago. And her record is stellar right now. Not so great then. And I think that um, helped. And I'm, I'm certain she'll be promoted this time. So using um, administrators and talking to them is, is a good thing. Um, everywhere I've worked, um, the number of publications hasn't really been an issue. It's been more you have to be good at what you do. Um, 
in that. And um, I, I often think that on the Teachers College Promotion Tenure Committee, we didn't evaluate educational historians or philosophers the same way we would do educational psychologists. They publish differently. Uh, historians might have two articles and three books going up, whereas um, educational psychologists might have 35 publications in there. So it, it's different. And again, you have to be good at what you do. Um, here, we're in the, we, we are almost at the final phase of revising our college guidelines. And um, the things I emphasize to the committee writing it, it's not only the number of publications, it's where the publications are, and it needs to be in a line of research. It's hard to say you're, you're making an impact if you're all over the place uh, on, on that. And um, so I think that's a big thing. Um, here, teaching at, at a teacher's college, Teaching evaluations counted. Um, I, my gut reaction is that uh, people in colleges of education tend to be better teachers than other people across campus. Uh, we have the highest mean they, uh, of the teaching evaluations on campus by far. We also have the lowest ranked um, teacher on campus who has gone through a professional improvement plan every year um, do, doing that. And so, but overall, it's very good. Um, I think one of my friends at the University of Texas said that um, you have to be good at scholarship. You have to not suck at teaching. And I think that's basically what's happened. The places I've worked um, in the minute and a half I have left, I think, um, I'd like to say something about external letters because I think they play an outside and a big role in evaluation at research universities. I personally, um, at TC in here, um, I read things that I don't know what the good journals are. I, um, I you know, I know what I think is good research, but. I don't know what other people do. And so how, how those are selected is really very important. And Langston said this, the best thing, um, your administrators need to tell you how it's done, doing that, and if not, ask them. Um, at Teachers College, the person came up with a list, the department came up with a list, and um, we had to get eight letters there. Here we need to have four. Um, the we've instituted something because the department chairs um, were maybe not selecting institutions that we're aspiring to or are at our level now. And um, Juanine Weirich's producer, when I was about to go up at, at uh, the University of Texas, said to me, that you have to think of how the physics professor on the university committees going to evaluate the letter. And she said, if they are, are at, 
I'll make this up because I don't want to use the university set. She said Montana State Mining College that um, doesn't have any doctoral programs. If they anything they say it's good, it's not going to count. And anything that's bad will be devastating. So she, um, I think that's really important. We now do something in our college where the chairs have to get my approval before they ask because I want the university committee to be impressed by our candidates uh, do doing that. And um, all the advice about meeting people and stuff, I think is, it, it is good. Um, I have three pages of notes that I've been writing down for the last couple of days, but I'll stop there. Uh Thanks, Steve and Becky. Uh, I'll open it up here for any questions. I know some of you may have questions, whether that's to recent associate or, or full professors, or you have a department chair and a former department chair and a dean here. So um, I'll open it. Langston, go ahead. I, I think I may have somewhat of a controversial question, but um, is it worth it going up for full? And the reason why I ask is, you know, sometimes that salary bump ain't that much money, but then the amount of work that they give you, like, it's not it's not worth what they pay you for that for that increase. So, like, is it just better to chill here at a at associate professor? Not to say that I'm gonna sandbag it, you know, and not do the work, but like, I could just be doing the same amount of research. Like, you, you see what I'm trying to say? Like, is it is it really all that to go up for full? So, so can I answer this, Crystal? Um, so. I think the answer is yes, it's probably worth it. I'll tell you why. Different places have different raises that are going into being promoted. I also think in different places, um, you don't have a full say in the governance of your department or college unless you're a full professor. Um, I think, um, and, and in my current job, we have throughout the 100 or so tenure track, um, handful of people like these who are um, career associate professors. I think people start looking at them as career associate professors. They never were able to get promoted. And my feeling is if you, if you can get promoted, just do it and get it over with. Um, and and I think it's worth it. And um, some universities don't dump crap just because you're promoted to full professor. I have a slightly different perspective. I mean, I think if you meet the criteria and you're ready to go up for full, I would say definitely go up, go up for it. But I also think it's very much a personal choice um, and it depends on the institution that you're at. Um, so for us, like once you're tenured um, at the associate level, you have say in all governance and, and everything, you're not treated any differently, whether you're an associate or a full uh, professor. Um, but I would also say it depends on, you know, some folks have other outside interests or things that they're also working on. And so I think it really is a, a personal decision about where your focus is in your career. 
is it hard to get back? So let's say you don't go up for associate for like, let's say you're writing an external letter for an associate professor who's been an associate professor for a while. Does it become increasingly tougher to write a positive letter for that person? Or do you look at it, let's say, I don't know, not that it's numbers, but 20 publications in the five years that they went from associate to full versus 30 publications over you know, 10 years, you know, like, how do you how do you evaluate someone that's been in that position as an external reviewer, when they've been an associate for a while? Oh, I couldn't speak to the external uh, part, but I could speak um, on our campus, they do look at they have added that they if when you're going up for full, they don't want someone that maybe has been associate for 10 years and then in the last year did like five or 10 publications. They want to see that they're progress, that we're still publishing throughout and it's not all at the end right before you go up. So you do have to show that um, uh, when you're going up for full. Steve? Um. So I, I've probably written five or six dozen um, external letters um, since I was promoted to full professor. And um, probably in the last 20 years, I only write them if I can write good ones because the emotional energy for ones that are going to be mediocre or not so great is just too much work for me. And um, I don't want to tank anyone's life in, in that. Um, I, I think, again, it's, there are so many things involved. Are, are they publishing in a line of research? Are they publishing in good journals? I, the, um, what do the outside letters say? Or what, what do I think and what would other people think? And um, it's it's not just number uh, of things. We we actually in our college, in, in what are will be our re revised guidelines, have gone from a minimum number of publications to more read the whole thing, the gestalt of it, and you know, publishing in good journals, publishing steady, and um, and it's a line of research doing it. I think that's important. Awesome. Thank you. Um, I, I'm going to get to your question, Chad. Um, and uh, so it's 5.15 right now. This is when the Peak Collaborative officially ends. So I do want to thank all the panelists. We will stick around for 15 minutes when the recording's off. So uh, people want to stick around and ask questions. They are more than welcome to. Um, we will be uh, sending out an email again about the next Peak Collaborative coming up next month um, in March, and let me get the date, March uh, 9th at 4 p.m. Eastern. So um, we're going to shut off the recording here and everybody can stick around or take off. Um, but thanks, everybody.